We're starting this series in 1 Corinthians, and the title of this series is The Church Growing in Truth and Love. You probably know this already, but you'll remember every book in the New Testament is actually a letter. It's a letter from Paul or Peter or John or James to the church to help them grow. Now, 1 Corinthians in particular happens to be a lot about what is the truth about Jesus, and he's going to try and tell us in love. Now, in particular, the 1 Corinthians church is is in a tough spot. They're not doing so hot. They're not living for Jesus like they should, and so Paul's going to have to give them the truth and love a lot. And actually, we're going to jump right into that in a minute because he's going to get right after it in verse 10 of chapter 1. But I want to begin with just a quick description of the city of Corinth and an understanding of what the people were like based on biblical understanding and historical documentation. So first of all, we know that the author of 1 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul. No one refutes this or debates it. He talks about himself being the author in the beginning of the letter and and in his salutation at the end of the letter. So Paul is the author. Paul spent several years in Corinth preaching the gospel. He spent about three years there from AD 49 to AD 51. And then he wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians three years later in about AD 54. While he was in Corinth, lots of great things happened there. But geographically, Corinth was a very well-placed city. Do we, uh, do we have that picture, that map picture? Can we throw that up if we have it? Um, I don't know if we do or not, but if we don't, that's great. Is it up there? Oh, it's up there. Right, great. I, I should have seen that. It's not back there. So let me show you where Corinth is today and where it was then. You can see uh, Corinth right in the middle of the screen right next to Athens. It's right next to that little, that little land bridge there. You can see that land bridge between northern Greece and southern Greece and that little isthmus in between. That, that four-mile land bridge is right where Corinth was, and that placed them in a perfect spot geographically. To the west, you can see that's the little boot of Italy. So to the west of them is Rome. To the east of them is Athens, the Middle East, North Africa. Puts them in this perfect spot for shipping lanes. And it also put them in this perfect spot because boats back then were not large. And so they really had to look out for storms. And so the boats could come right into that little isthmus, come right over to Corinth. They had made a, a little like area for the boats to go through there, like a canal where they could go through. And so they could be protected there. Their goods could be protected. Then they could stop in Corinth, have a good time, and then be on their way with their goods. So Corinth is in this perfect spot geographically. Now, what you also need to know is there was an old Corinth and a new Corinth. And we actually have a fairly good amount of documentation historically about both cities. Old Corinth was a Greek city. It was Greek by nature, dominated by Greek people, and it flourished. Religiously, they served the mythical gods of of Greece, In 400 BC, Aristophanes coined and invented a new verb in the Greek language. And the verb is called Corinthiazo. And what the verb meant was to act like a Corinthian or to to have sexual immorality in your life. And here's why. In Corinth, there was boasted the temple of Aphrodite. 
the temple of love. And at that temple, you would go and you would have sex with a temple prostitute in order to celebrate love. Well, that permeated the entire city. But New Corinth was a little bit different. In 146 BC, Corinth got a little bit too big for its britches and began to complain to Rome about lots of things. And so the Roman Empire came and leveled the place to the ground, destroyed everything and killed everybody. And so the city sat desolate for about 100 years until 44 BC, Caesar Augustus rebuilt the city. Now he rebuilt the city for two purposes. Number one, he wanted that strategic location back for his shipping lanes, for the army to get where they needed to go quickly. But second, Rome had become overpopulated by what are called freedmen. And he wanted to give them a city to go to and live in. And so he moved all of them to Corinth. Now, a freedman was someone who had either bought or earned their freedom from slavery. And so there were lots of people all over Rome that were called freedmen, and they were overpopulating the city. And so Caesar built it for them, and they then moved there. Well, the city once again grew very quickly, became a major city in the Roman Empire again. It was racially diverse because of all the shipping and business that was there and all the people coming in and wanting to get wealthy. And it was also very independent, still at its very independent nature. It was a port city, which meant it had many vices designed to entice the merchants traveling through. It once again became a very sexual city. We could say that Corinth was much like the Las Vegas of today. There, they had a phrase during that time. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And so uh, they just, it was just, a, it was a crazy place, right? Now the Corinthian church was struggling. It was struggling because it wanted to have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. And we know that that's impossible, don't we? Jesus said you can only serve one master. In every single chapter, Paul will address a behavior or a way of thinking that was pulling the church away from Jesus. Pulling the church away from living fully in a mature way for Christ. And we're going to look at all of those things. But Paul gives the Corinthian church a strong dose of truth and love all along the way. Now his purpose is to teach them and remind them what it means to live your life fully for Jesus. Now, as we start this series, I want to share a verse with you that has been near and dear to my heart ever since I was young. It's a verse that I've made kind of a motto of my life for a long time. It's Proverbs 15.31. And Proverbs 15.31 says this, Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. I'd like you to remember that verse as we study through the book of Corinthians over the next several months, because I guarantee you along the way, the Holy Spirit will give you a life-giving correction. Because there are things in this letter that each and every one of us need to do better for Jesus. And so I want you to think about that. Now, here's what I also think. I believe the American church needs 1 Corinthians. We need it. There are a lot of similarities between us and the Corinthian church. And so I think this 
book will be perfect for us. So as you grab your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'd like us to start by singing that song that we, that we sang this morning about just focusing on Jesus. So just to get our heart and our mind in the right direction, let's sing this chorus again. Would you join me? As the worship team plays it, let's just sing it one more time. And the book of Corinthians is going to show us that over and over again, that nothing is better than Jesus. So let's sing that chorus one more time, just to remind ourselves, here we go. Nothing is better than you. sound together at all. What, that was really strange, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, um, thanks, guys. I think we'll call it a day. And uh, you can head back to your seats, and I'm going to keep going. Now, you're going to surmise that I planned that, didn't I? I'm going to preach a message this morning that Paul's going to talk about in verses 10 through 17, and here's the title of my message, Living in Perfect Harmony. Paul's going to get right after it right away. And he's going to say this, the church has got to be in perfect harmony. See, when the band's in perfect harmony, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And when the band is in perfect harmony, we desire to stop and listen and join in, right? That's what happens when there's perfect harmony. But when we aren't in harmony, all we want them to do is what? Stop. Just, just stop already. See, when the band is not together, you have no desire to listen to their music. And can I tell you this morning that Jesus has called the church to live in perfect harmony with one another. But hear me this morning. When the church is not in harmony, no one wants to stop and listen to our message about Jesus. This is why unity and harmony is absolutely essential. And that is why Paul starts off his letter by reminding the church how absolutely important it is to be in unity and in love and to agree with one another because everything he's going to tell them from this chapter forward, if we don't get unity in our heads first, we will disregard all of the other things that we need to focus on in Christ. And so listen to the word of God from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 17. And I'm going to read it from the, from the Passion Translation this morning. I urge you, my brothers and sisters, for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree to live in unity with one another 
and to put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart. Be restored as one united body living in perfect harmony. Form a consistent choreography among yourselves, having a common perspective with shared values. My dear brothers and sisters, I have a serious concern I need to bring up with you. For I have been informed by those of Chloe's house church that you have been destructively arguing among yourselves. By the way, let me just point out a quick thing. Chloe was a woman and she had a house in her church. And I need to bring this up because each of you is claiming loyalty to different preachers. Some of you are saying, I'm a disciple of Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I'm a disciple of Peter the Rock, and some, well, I belong only to Christ. But let me ask you, is Christ divided up into groups? Did I die on the cross for you? At your baptism, did you pledge yourself to follow Paul? Thank God I only baptized two from Corinth, Crispus and Gaius. So now no one can say that my name, I baptized others. Oh, yes, I also baptized Stephanus and his family. Other than that, I don't remember baptizing anyone else. For the anointed one has sent me on a mission not to see how many I could baptize, but to proclaim the good news. And I declare this message stripped of all philosophical arguments that empty the cross of its true power. For I trust in the all-sufficient cross of Christ alone. There's our first really good dose of truth and love, amen? I mean, he doesn't take any time to get right after it, doesn't he? He's gonna get right to it and say, hey, here's what you need, church. Now look with me at three phrases that I believe capture the heart of these messages from different verses in the section. The first phrase is in verse 10, and it's the simple one, live in perfect harmony. Live in perfect harmony. In a world that seems to thrive on division, have you seen that lately, anybody? (laughs) Like, have we not amped it up a little bit? Like, our division's getting even worse. And as we head into a political season, it's manifesting itself in a great way. But here's what I want to say. In a world that thrives on division, and I actually see it now today in our culture as a money-making advantage. They're actually using our division to make money now. The church has an amazing opportunity in the middle of this time. Here's why. If the world saw the church in perfect harmony with one another, I believe our influence would become extraordinary. Let me repeat that. If the world saw the church of Jesus Christ in perfect harmony, then our influence could become extraordinary. But that means that you and I would have to do that. We'd have to live that way because I think the American church could work on this, couldn't we? We don't often portray a unified front. We don't often portray perfect harmony. Even now the church is struggling with differences, right? Some say wear a mask, others say don't. Some say, I don't care what the government says, and others are saying submit to the authorities above you. 
Some are following the guidelines, others are not. Some believe in women in ministry, some don't. Some say the Holy Spirit is for today, some say he's not. On and on and on, and we don't look like we're in perfect harmony. Now, Paul gives us some advice about how we can live in perfect harmony. He actually gives us five things to do right in verse 10. And if you do these five things, you will be living in perfect harmony with the body of Christ and with others around you. Let me give them to you quickly. Here's the first one. For the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Is your life completely wrapped up in everything you do for the sake of of Jesus. If it is, then you will always discover that you will be in harmony with your brothers and sisters around you. See, everything comes back to this. It's about Jesus, not me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Remember, that's what John the Baptist said, right? He must become greater. I must become less. It's all about Jesus. The church is meant to glorify Jesus and his teachings. We live for the sake of the name of Jesus. And number two, agree to live in unity. Now, here's what's interesting. Unity is the target. Unity is the goal. Unity is what we are striving for. And unity is what we make sacrifices for. But we must agree. So Paul says, you must agree that unity is the target. The target is not that my opinion is heard. The target is not that my rights would not be stomped on. The target is unity in Christ. That's the target. That's the goal. And there will be times where you and I have to put our own stuff aside and agree that the unity is more important than me. Third, he said, put to rest division that is tearing us apart. Does anyone feel like the church is trying to be torn apart today? I sure do. It sure seems like every value in scripture and everything we believe as a church is trying to be torn apart today. That's the enemy of our soul doing that. And Satan's using all kinds of things to tear the church apart. But sometimes, not all the time, but occasionally, you and I are going to have to put something to rest. We're going to have to crucify it. We're going to have to let it go. So that division doesn't make its way into the church and tear us apart. So whatever might cause division needs to be put to rest so that we can live in perfect harmony. So think about that just for a minute. What might you have in your life that you need to put to rest so that unity can be the goal? Number four, be restored as one united body. Now, I loved this phrase, be restored, right? What does that mean? God is a God of second chances. We can be restored again. That his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness is always ready to be there again. Now, this is important because the Corinthian church was way out of whack. They were not living in unity again. And Paul needed to remind them, uh, if you get back on track and you agree to live in unity and you put to rest all of your divisions and you stop following people and you start following Jesus and you stop being about yourself and start doing stuff for the sake of Jesus' name, then you'll be restored. And you can once again get back to that place of unity. So I'm just happy that there's grace here. 
And that if, if you need grace this morning to get back on track, there's grace for you as well. And then the fifth thing is focus on what you have in common and the same values you have. Now, in the church of Jesus Christ, we have something that is more unifying than anything on the planet, and that's Jesus himself. All of us are unified in Christ. We all have in common this shared value, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection. There's really no reason for us not to be in harmony ever as the church because we all have this shared value. And this shared value has the ability to change our life and the lives of others. We can live in perfect harmony when we live for Jesus. So the first thing we see, the first phrase that is there is that you and I can live in perfect harmony. Second, the second phrase I really liked was found in verse 12. Look at this verse with me. And I need to bring this up because each of you is claiming loyalty to different preachers. Here's the phrase, claiming loyalty. Where does your loyalty lie? Who gets your loyalty? What's claiming loyalty to you in your life? See, here's what's interesting. It's possible for us to let other things claim our loyalty, isn't it? To let other things become more important than Jesus. And we begin to claim loyalty to that. In fact, the reality is we can do that. We can let other people be more important than Jesus, and so we claim loyalty to them. That's why, that's why Paul said, hey, don't, don't think you're following me or Apollos or Peter. We're all following Jesus here. It's for his name and for his sake that we do this. It's really easy for us to get off track and to start claiming loyalty in another direction. Now, why th this is really important because if we start following somebody else, we're in trouble because that person can't save us. We have to claim loyalty to Jesus alone. Let me give you an illustration of this. Think of the church like a symphony. Hopefully you've been to the symphony before or watched one on TV. I love the symphony. Think of Jesus as the conductor. One of the things I really enjoy about a symphony is how hundreds of instruments can all be in perfect harmony together. Now, one of the reasons is that those are very, very good musicians. But even very, very good musicians cannot play together sometimes. What do they need? They need something harmonizing them. They need something keeping them all on track. And that thing that keeps them all on track is their sheet music, right? They have sheet music in front of them. And so as long as they all stay on track and on beat, they will be in perfect harmony with one another. What's our sheet music? The Word of God. We have sheet music too. And if we all follow the sheet music right... We will sound like we're in perfect harmony with one another. But what if you went to the symphony and for some reason, the first chair trumpet got the rest of the trumpeters right in the middle of the song to stand up with him and start blaring something on the trumpet that was different than the song because he said, I have a better interpretation of what the sheet music says. 
What's it going to do to the song? Ruins the song. What if that trumpeter keeps doing that song after song after song? I'll tell you what happens. When people leave the symphony, and as they're walking out through the foyer, here's what you'll hear. And those, those trumpeters were weird. I don't know what they were thinking, how they ruined every song. I don't know what the conductor was doing. How come the conductor didn't do something about that? I'm not so sure about this symphony. I don't, I don't think I want to come back and listen to this symphony. Now, what happened? When a leader or a couple people decided to trumpet their own opinion and their own interpretation loudly, it ruined the symphony and it made the conductor look bad. Is it possible that that's happening some today? I think so. I think it's possible that even in the body of Christ, we can have people that trumpet things that are not a correct interpretation of the sheet music. And before we know it, people are saying, I don't want to come back to that symphony. And they don't want to listen to the church either. See, during this time when everyone has an idea about how things should be done, it's really important that we are claiming loyalty to Jesus alone and to nothing else. It's really important that we stay unified, that we watch what we say and we watch how we say it. In this way, we protect the symphony. In this way, we make the conductor look good. In this way, we play in harmony. See, Paul makes it clear that claiming loyalty to anyone or anything but Jesus will destroy our unity, and it'll really show the world that Jesus hasn't really changed anything in our lives. Now, what's interesting is Paul points out something in particular that can be destructive towards that end in verse 11. In verse 11, Paul says this, There is destructive arguing among yourselves. There's this destructive arguing happening between you. And I got to be thinking about that. And in Paul's day, you know, there was this destructive, destructive arguing happening. It probably happened in their small house churches. It probably happened in the marketplace when they were hanging out together. It might have happened in church. But I was thinking about in our day today, where do we really do our really good arguing? Social media. This is where we do our best arguing. This is where we do our best slamming. This is where we do our best bullying. This is where we portray our best opinion. This is where we give our interpretation. And so social media has become an easy place to make arguments and voice opinions. But can I go out on a limb? It's not a very big limb. It's pretty short. <laughs> and say sometimes it's destructive. Sometimes it's destructive to the church because we're arguing about things that pull us away from Christ, that destroy our unity and pull us away from him instead of bringing us together. See, it's destructive when our loyalty is to someone or something other than Jesus. And now I was thinking about what would Paul do today? What would Paul ask us today about social media? 
Here's what I think he would ask. You ready? Here's what I think Paul would ask. Does your social media reveal your loyalty to Jesus first or something else? Does your social media reveal that you love Jesus first or America first? Now, I don't know about you, but I love America. But America's here and Jesus is here. Amen? Now, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Amen? Because India's here. Right? America's here. But Jesus is here. But some of us got this flip-flopped. Paul might ask, does your social media reveal your loyalty to your rights or to your sacrifice to Christ? Does your social media reveal your political ideals first or that Jesus is your King and Lord? And lastly, and maybe more importantly, does your social media Reveal that you love the Seahawks first or Jesus first? Because we can let sports get in the way too, can't we? Yeah. Anything can get in the way. See, what we say on social media reveals where our loyalties lie first. And what we argue about on social media can tell people what we think is important. And sometimes our arguing in that setting and in that place on social media can discourage the unity and the perfect harmony that God wants us to have in the church. And that's why I think in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul said, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, everything, I think, would include social media and would include everything else so that we are in perfect harmony with one another. The third phrase that I loved was in verse 17 where Paul ends the section and he simply says this, trust in the all-sufficient cross of Christ. Now follow me here. At the beginning of the section, Paul said what? We do everything for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. And at the end of the section, he says what? Trust in the all-sufficient cross of Christ alone. See, I, th I think it's true. If you, put if you put Jesus at the beginning of your life and at the end of your life, and everything in between, you'll be okay. But that's where it gets all mixed up. We must trust in the all-sufficient cross of Christ. Listen to it in context in verse 17. And I declare this message stripped of all philosophical arguments that empty the cross of its true power. For I trust in the all-sufficient cross of Christ alone. See, the cross is the place of our unification. The cross is where you and I find perfect harmony. At the cross, we are all the same. There's perfect harmony at the cross because at the cross, we all discover I'm a sinner and so are you. And it doesn't matter what race you are, what ethnicity, what status you have, what background you have, where you're at now, where you were at tomorrow. It doesn't matter. At the foot of the cross, we are all exactly the same. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's where we are. At the cross, we are the same. But at the cross, we can all also receive grace and forgiveness and hope and joy and the peace and love 
of God Almighty. And Paul gives the church a stern warning here in verse 17. When the world hears the church just making a bunch of philosophical arguments all the time, then the cross is, as Paul says, emptied of its power. It's emptied of its power. When we sit around and argue about philosophical arguments, and on social media when we banter about philosophical arguments, we actually, Paul says, empty the cross of its power. We need to get back to this moment where the cross of Jesus is all we need. The simplicity of the love and the grace and the power of Jesus Christ on the cross and trust in it. See, the cross is, as Paul says, all sufficient. That means it's everything we need. It means that we don't need anything else in this world but the cross. And that's true because at the cross, we receive relationship with God Almighty. And in relationship with God the Father, with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, we discover that we actually don't need anything else in this world because he will provide everything that we need for life and godliness. That's why the cross is all sufficient. Now, I know that this is hard right now. But what we really need to do is trust in Jesus at the cross. Let's try to ignore the voices in the world and simply trust in Jesus. Let's agree to live in perfect harmony with one another and follow Christ. Let the world fret and spin and get caught up in every single whim and get scared and afraid about everything and let's you and I just trust in Jesus. Let's take all of our junk and leave it at the cross. And let's let his cross be all-sufficient right now in this crazy time. Because everything we need to make it through this season, we will find in relationship with Jesus. So these three things are what Paul rallies us to. Living in perfect harmony, claiming loyalty to Jesus alone, and trusting in the all sufficient cross of Christ. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for a moment of being reminded about where we need to be, about how we need to be thinking, about our actions and our words, and how important the unity of the churches is.